that's the thing though you know like when people have birth plans and all the rest it's one thing to think that you're ready but you can't be ready for what you don't know welcome to life on the land a grazy her podcast telling the stories of women living across regional rural and remote australia i'm m herbert your host for today There's a word for the period of time it takes to grow and raise a baby, matrescence, the physical, emotional, hormonal and social transition to becoming a mother. This time deserves its own definition because, my lord, it's a roller coaster. The overwhelming love, the uneasy trepidation or sometimes downright fear, sadness, guilt and anxiety, the joys and the crushing lows, the exhaustion and at times loneliness and boredom, those delicious first smiles and burbles, the unbridled wonder and awe over what you've created. It's also a time that can be heightened when living in the bush with its own specific challenges and delights. Caroline Maxwell has been a guiding hand along the matrescence journey for hundreds of mothers. The mum of four is a midwife and lactation consultant working from Narromine in the Western Plains of New South Wales. She travels far and wide around the state to see women when they need her most, driving hundreds of hours on dirt roads, navigating flood waters, and once even sourcing a plane to get to a new mum on a remote station. Just a note, the internet is a little dodgy through this chat, as it sometimes is in the bush. I always think of it as like it's one day, like giving birth is one day, like if you can just, it's one day and then it's the rest of the stuff that often goes without notice because obviously if you've got to get a watermelon out the size of an egg hole, it's a bit concerning and obviously you're going to focus on that. But if, if people can just tell themselves it's one, it's just one day, right, and most of the time you're surrounded by people who are able to help you who are experts in that field so just breathe and go with the flow because that's all you can do it's like stepping on a banana peel isn't it once you've slipped on it there's nothing else you can do just go with it it's one day yeah yeah this negativity around um birth it's something that I talk about with my girlfriends all the time because people love to tell you their horror stories and the worst things that have gone wrong and I just feel culturally it's not that helpful what do you have thoughts on that yeah, I have lots of thoughts on that. I always find that one fascinating. So many people have got some negative stuff to say, but if you just like stand in a room full of people and think they were all born mm. and they all survived it, right? Like all of them. And they can't all have been that bad. Like why why the human race has been going for billions of years. So clearly that the design works quite well. Yes, it's going to hurt. We all know that it's going to hurt and you can't prepare for how much it's going to hurt. That's something that... Some people are lucky. I always, I always have a little bit of a giggle when people are really proud of the fact that they've given birth with no pain relief and no, you know, they were able to do all of their things and they gave birth without pain relief and they're totally fine and almost like a hero status. And I think I'm, I'm a, I've a firm belief as a midwife that some of us just get a luckier run through childbirth mm. and some of us don't. And so it's not like it's not like it's the same. It's not like everybody gets the same batch and some of us are just tougher than the others. I just think some of us get a rougher run than others and so need more help to do so, whereas others maybe get a smoother ride. And if that makes you feel good about yourself, then go for it and feel good. But I don't know that we all had the same 
cards dealt to us. Mm. It's really interesting yeah. since having a baby because all I can do is put that lens onto everything that I read or watch. Like I'm watching 1883, which is the prequel to Yellowstone. And I just keep looking yeah. at these pioneers trudging through the Kansas Texan desert thinking how and why does anybody give birth? I just don't understand how you do it, how they did it. How did anyone survive? I, I remember being a midwife, a young midwife and thinking, wow, this is, this is a lot. Like this is a real lot. Growing up in the bush, you see a lot of animals give birth, right? And they never seem to make a lot of noise. They just, yeah. and they did it in piles of cat heads. Like they didn't mind. They just have their babies wherever and, They'd get up and then they've got to clean up after themselves. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, as a midwife, we are so lucky as a human race to have, like, a clean space and people to come in and clean up after us if you're lucky enough to be in a facility or somewhere that someone will clean up after you. But you think, wow, lucky in Australia. We've got it made. We really do. There's even pain relief and people that will rub your back. Amazing. (laughs) Those poor cows in the paddock. My God. Oh, no, on the bull ant nest. So do you remember? Yeah, with foxes. Oh yeah. Oh god. Do you um? Do you remember the first baby that you caught, like you delivered? Can you describe what that experience was was like? Yes, for you? I really do remember. I, I was a student midwife with the first baby I delivered, and I remember I was like two or three days into the job, and they said, "In you get you get to catch this baby." And I was working at a private hospital, and this woman came in in a wheelchair. And like it was like a long corridor. It could have been a movie, if you imagine. So she came in this wheelchair, huffing and puffing with a hand on her back. And all these people came in with her. It was almost like you could feel the wind coming towards you. And they said, come on, quick, getting in here. And it was this woman that she decided she wanted to have a vaginal birth after t- with twins. And she'd had a normal birth the first time. But her obstetrician said, look, if you're going to labour naturally, then we can give it a go. But I really think we probably should do a Caesar because Caesars are generally the recommendation with twins, especially in a private facility. They're... It's a bit more controlled and just used that way. Um, and so I remember this woman was hell-bent that she wasn't going to have a cesarean. She knew how to birth vaginally and there was no reason she couldn't. And so she came in, like, literally with these babies about to be out. And they said, you can deliver this one. So the first baby I ever got to put my hands on was a twin. And they said, you can you can help with your hands-on. So the obstetrician had his hands-on there and then I put mine over his and we delivered the first twin and then I had to get right out of the way for the second twin because they can kind of flip and turn and go all sorts of ways. So the second one is quite tricky. Uh, and it was, it was just fascinating watch. Um, it, was fascinating. it was amazing. I was terrified, of course, because you know with with excitement comes off and terrified you know trepidation but it was really it was like one of the coolest things I ever saw yeah yeah and does it ever get old never never gets old sometimes the adrenaline gets old like sometimes you think I don't know that I'm cut out for this anymore I haven't actually caught a real baby in some years now because all of my work's been in the postnatal sphere um in the last few years which have which I love just as much looking after women and babies for me never gets old I think I've always been a baby person I was always that kid who would find see a pram at a race meeting or a, or a country show or whatever wherever we were as kids I'd see that pram and I would just make a beeline for it and be asking the mum if I could have a cuddle or if she needed me to take the pram for a walk or I was like a yeah I was a baby pincher you you were mother hubbard what do you, um, how do you think your childhood growing up um, prepared you for, for your role? Tell me a little bit about I your childhood. Being, mm. 
we had a we lived we lived remotely i guess some people would live more remotely than us but i grew up out at gaduga which is um a remote new south wales community and in a small community you play with everybody right like there's not 30 people your age i think there's one other gorgeous girl my age you know that uh, there was a couple of others but there weren't many of us right so you play across the spectrum. So you're, you're playing with babies one day and the big kids the next day. And if we're at pony camp or something, there were kids all the way from our age right up to teenagers and we all had to play together or there wasn't a game, right? Like, it, So as a community, we all worked together. And so if there were babies, we were all in there together. The parents were all there together. It was a, a supportive, um, very welcoming community to grow up in. And I never feel disadvantaged. I often... I often um, look at kids in the city and, and I feel sorry for them. And just recently I went back out to Kaduga with the flying doctors to do a vaccine clinic just as in a casual role. And as I was driving in, I had this gorgeous nurse with me in the car and we we're chatting and, and she said, oh, how does it feel to go back? I said, amazing, look at this place, it's amazing. And I could see her looking around her thinking, far out, this is far from amazing. Like, <laughs> there's nothing here. It's, we're in the middle of nowhere. We've driven like half the day to get here. and fill me in again on how this is cool <laughs> I was cracking up I said oh look this is you know we were talking about the freedoms that we were able to experience out there and I think I think a lot of those freedoms have helped to shape the way I choose to parent my kids and the way that I approach my work I think I see a lot of um a lot of noise a lot of gadgets a lot of and by noise, I mean like social media and people telling you what you have to have and all the bits and pieces. And I think of how simple our childhood was and the things that we gained enjoyment from and the way we were cared for. And I see babies now, like I can go into a house and there's like baby monitors attached to the wall, shining down the baby. And then there's the, the, the cot like shrizzles when you, when you, you know, if the baby moves and then everything, everything goes and does something. And with every single one of those bits that you put into the mix it's just another thing to maintain for mum or and dad and or another another um another piece of equipment that could add um complexity and i always feel like it's easier if it's simpler mm. much easier you know like one of the best days of my childhood when we were kids it was flooding out at Gaduga and would be quite similar to what will happen in the next few weeks out there and there were yabbies being washed across the road on the way on the way into town and so the road's only like a single lane tar road and the flood water would have been maybe 20 centimetres deep but it was crystal clear because it was running through the paddocks and so the preschool ripped around town got permission to take us out to the floodwaters where we went out with sieves and colanders and caught, we peeled all our clothes off and left them on the bus. <laughs> and then with the sieves and colanders, caught all the yabbies, put them in a bucket and then our beautiful cook at the preschool, cooked them up, Mary, cooked them up and we all had yabbies and then had a nap. And can you imagine now, like the risk assessment that would go, <laughs> like nude kids in floodwaters on a road with yabbies that could take their finger off. Sounds good, great idea, why not? How gorgeous, though. What a great story. And our kids miss out on that now. Like, I, I'm sure they can't do that in Gaduga anymore. There'd have to be a risk assessment, and I'm sure it wouldn't pass now. You know, yeah, I think it's sad yeah. because no one got hurt. We all had a great day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And where some see limitations and challenges, others, you know, in, in those remote areas see opportunities and, yes. and, and the real benefits of that lifestyle. Your dad tragically passed away when you were eight. What do you remember of that time and, and that experience? 
I remember it was really sad. And as a child, you know, I've, I've reflected on it a lot, obviously, as life goes on. But I remember the people that were there to help, probably most profoundly. And I remember, so I remember the people that were there to help and the kindness of those people that were around us. We've got quite a big family too, which makes life easier. But I also remember, um, I just remember mum just getting on with it. She didn't, she didn't wallow. She just got on with it as, as much as she had to. And I guess I've taken a lot of inspiration from that. And I, and I do value that. Um, I think in life, so many challenges are thrown at us. And I find myself looking often now at resilient women who, who just overcome so much when they're having their babies, um, even at kids, you know, who are overcoming challenges, even if it's just challenges trying to get in, get through an education or, you know, wanting to achieve something. I, I look at that and I really do value people sort of, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and doing their best. And even if, even if that means asking for assistance along that road, I think, I think it's really important to, to try and persevere to some extent yourself because I think you can gain a lot of self-confidence and a lot of self-worth from having a go and trying to do your best. But I also think there's definitely time to say, okay, this isn't fun. I've tried long enough. I need a hand. Mm. And we'll circle back to that because I think that's something that you see a lot in your work as a lactation consultant. Um, but I just love mm. to, to drop back a little bit and talk about you you moved out to Narromine when your oldest baby George was 10 days old I mean as a midwife you had all of this training and you'd caught all these babies and you know you'd been you'd done the do but how was that for you and were you prepared I was going to be awesome I was actually going to be the best mum I've been preparing for that all my life like I've been I said I've been pinching babies out of prams since I could walk oh my god no amount of uni training, no amount of holding other people's babies, no amount of working with babies. I mean, I could wrap a baby and change a baby with my eyes shut, but holy dooly, having your own baby, well, that really is something else. I just remember sitting there holding this little baby here, the fieriest red hair, and it was the end of end of the year and it was hot and we were flooding in Narromine and so I had something to do every day. I could walk down and look at the floodwaters and speculate on the rise of the floodwaters, but it was just it's really it was an upheaving time for me and I remember it being really challenging probably mostly emotionally challenging because I just kept thinking I've got to be able to do this like everybody thinks that I'll be an amazing mum because I'm a midwife and I've always loved babies and I, there was never any doubt that I loved George and loved having a baby but far out it was tough and I and I do think looking back you know I do think I probably did suffer some postnatal depression or anxiety but I, at the time probably couldn't even acknowledge it or didn't really know what it felt like. So I didn't know that that was what that was. I just thought this must be how everybody else gets through it. And I do also remember thinking, if I'm finding this tough with a university degree behind me, with a couple of degrees behind me, I had a degree in early childhood education too. So like birth to five years, like I've had it all on paper, but holy dooly in real life, whole different ballgame, yeah. whole different ballgame. And I just remember thinking, if I'm finding this tough, what about the girls who were an accountant before this and have never had never held a baby? Because it was really common and it's really common to the women who have never ever held a baby. You're actually showing how to hold a baby the first time they hold their own. Yeah, that's just it is absolutely staggering to think that there's no manual with the parenting. We do all this preparation for the birth, and then you're shot out in the world and it says, go forth and parent. And you go home with this tiny 
vulnerable little thing thinking what now um how important is language you know having the language to be able to articulate you like you were just saying with your postnatal experience you didn't necessarily have anything to compare it to obviously but you didn't have the language to say shit this is I'm feeling pretty blue and this might not be normal how important is it for for new mums to have language to be able to express themselves I think it is really important and I think also the language having the having the avenues of support to be able to say I don't think this is normal and to be heard and I think we're really lucky now even over the last decade there are ways of doing that with anonymity because in our in our area, it, like I think anywhere west of the Blue Mountains, it only takes five minutes in a room to find someone that you know or that knows someone that you know quite well. I honestly think that's whole six degrees of separation things, probably two or three degrees at this side of Blue Mountains. And for most of the women I see, it's they're, they're frightened. They don't want the rest of the community to know that they're feeling blue or anyone to know that they're not potentially coping. And at least now if you've got reasonable internet coverage, there are ways of shooting a text message to somebody or sending, you know, going onto an app or downloading a thing that says this is how these are the feelings, you know, that might indicate that you're having something happen to you that's not um, part of the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think now we have some of those avenues. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard to find the courage though at the time, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, advances in technology are bloody fantastic and telehealth is a marvellous, marvellous thing. But a Zoom conferencing call doesn't hand you a tissue or make you a cup of tea or give you a hug. How important is it for you to get out into the bush to these remote women and, and offer that guidance and that support in person? I think it's, for me, that's obviously, like always, I try whenever I can to do an in-person consult exactly for what you've just said to be able to hand tissue or and a hug or it's really it's one thing to say I live 53 kilometers west of Walgett on a dirt road it's another thing to actually drive to that person's home and think right that, that's a pretty rough road and if this is wet there's no getting out of here for two weeks and to get a vibe for it I remember once visiting a woman at her home and she said oh when you get here just come around to the back gate can you park at the back gate I said yeah sure that's not a strange um, request often uh, you know they say park at the back gate or come around past the shed and go here 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 and here and that's the easiest way in or what have you so I uh, parked at the back gate and went inside and and when I got inside she like the curtains were drawn on one side of the house and, and she just sort of went over the window and peeked out the window I said oh, are you okay and she said oh it's my mother-in-law's house just over there and I just need to make sure she didn't see you come in she said uh, she's had a heap of kids and I, I'm really struggling with this one I just want, don't want her to know that I'm having difficulty and she wants to help but I don't really want her help and, and I'm feeling really vulnerable. And, and when you're leaving, can you just be really careful? And if she comes, I might ask you not to be in the room or go and answer the door, but if you can just make sure she doesn't know you're here. Mm. And so things like that are really tough, but really important to go to those people's houses and be at the dining table to get a real feel for that. Because if I'd done a Zoom consultation, I would, I would never have known unless this girl told me that stuff. Mm. And I think having been there, I could feel it. I could feel her anxiety and I could feel how she was feeling by being there so much more so than being over a Zoom consult. And also I find Zoom really hard. Breastfeeding is and caring for babies are really practical, really practical things. And I find it really hard to instruct someone over Zoom how they might be able to, you know, hold the baby differently or wrap the baby or, you know, it takes twice as long. Yeah, I, I think that is so interesting, that anonymity and not wanting the stigma associated with something as vital as 
breastfeeding and caring for a baby. I mean, I understand if you don't want to go to the local AA meeting down at the town hall and park out the front because you don't want everyone to know you've got an issue with alcohol and everyone knows each other's cars. But to be um, to be worried or for there to be some sort of taboo from midwife or a lactation consultant to come and give you a hand seems pretty uh, staggering, doesn't it? It really does. The amount of people, like um, marketing people say to me, why do you have all over your car, Mama B, right up the back of your car? And and in the flip side, I've had tons of women say to me, do you have any signed writing on your car? As one of the first phone calls, just to make sure that I, they can't, no one will know who it is that's parked out the front of their house or, or who's driving into their driveway because communities are small and people don't want anyone to know that they're struggling. And I think, you know, just it's probably the same level of stigma and anxiety as parking the car at the front of the AA meeting for a lot of women. Other women are more than more than happy. They're proud. They're saying to me, why don't you have them be on your car, the women themselves? And then others are saying, please don't tell anyone you're here. Please don't. And confidentiality is a massive point for me. I, I'm really, you know, often I'll have women say to me, oh, gosh, have you seen such and such? She's had a baby, you know, I think you should go and see her. And I'll say, oh, how's she? How's she going? And I will have been there that morning. Yeah. I know exactly how she's going, but I just brush it off. And I think occasionally people think I'm really vague and I've forgotten that I've seen them, but I've been really, I'm really vague about where I've been and <laughs> because it's just not anyone else's business to know. So why do you think there is that stigma, especially in the bush? <sighs> I think, I think as women, we often look forward to having a baby because it's something that naturally we look forward to doing or we have the baby because we think we should because that's the time and the clock's ticking and we're married now and, well, what else is next? Um, and I think culturally we think we should be good at it. I think we, sh- we think it should just come naturally where in actual fact a lot of it does come naturally um, but a lot of it doesn't. A lot of it is learned skill. And if we were still living culturally in, in, a, in a communal environment where all the aunties were sitting around under a tree, giving each other advice, we were all sitting there chatting every day, having cups of tea, we would see the advice over and over again of the aunties to each other. We would see um, babies that perhaps didn't feed well and learn from that. Or we would see how people do things and learn by osmosis. And these days, as women, we're encouraged to um, do well at school and then go off and get a career because we're women and we should be heard roaring. And then we do all of that and we think, oh, hang on, my internal clock's ticking, I won't have that be a mum. And then we have the baby. And we also, most of us, um, this is a massive generalisation, but the vast majority of us are able to manage a spreadsheet and get life done and tick a few boxes and are really productive and then we have this baby that is like the loosest kind of arrangement ever there's no kpis there's no knockoff there's no you, you can't just go right well we've changed four nappies today that's the nappies done tip that's that job for today we can't like it just keeps rolling it just yeah. keeps rolling and it's relentless and yeah. i think i think we think we should be able to nail it um and when we can't we feel like we're failing yeah totally mm-hmm. and we um, don't have the village like we're not set we're not supposed to we're not supposed to do it on our own. That's the other thing. And so we feel like we have to do it all on our own and be awesome at it and have our lipstick on and look like a Huggies ad and have the kid dressed in country road. Like we honestly think we're supposed to be like nailing it. And then the, and, and we don't have that village that are just naturally there. We don't live in multi-generational houses mm. anymore. So we don't have a grandma in the house. I wish we did. But, you know, there's not, 
there's not all of that support all the time. And I think that's why we feel like we're failing because we're trying to do the job of many and think that we should be enjoying it at the same time. I just can relate to so much of that. And I know so many listeners will, that idea, especially when the baby's brand, brand new and you get to the end of the day and you look around and you think, I have had no time today and what have I achieved? I didn't even put a load of washing on. Every, th- every cup of tea is cold in the house. I haven't eaten a full meal. The baby's alive. Cool. I'm still breathing. But this, um, I think when we come from this culture of this glorification of busy and uh, always being so efficient and productive, and then this baby comes along and you lose that identity from your previous work and, and suddenly you're a soul, just a care, caregiver, but you don't get anything done is that something that is really difficult for a lot of women especially capable women on the land who are used to being out out and about being super useful yes it's huge and i think the best way i've found so far to discuss that is the um the journey through matrescence and it's quite a new word but it's one we're hearing lots of now and so if you can compare the transition of going from being a child to an adult, that's the adolescence transition. And we all know what that comes with. It comes with massive hormonal changes, our bodies change, our relationships change, our career changes. We have to find one for the first time in our lives. Um, It's turmoil. It's total upheaval for Mm. a child to go to make that transition through adolescence. And there's not many of us that have said, oh, it was awesome, the whole lot, loved it all, right? Mm. And so matrescence is the process of going from being a woman to a mother. And so we have massive hormonal changes. Our bodies change massively. The job of our bodies changes hugely. Our career changes. Um, Our relationships change. Often we'll lose friends that we're great friends, but they they don't have children. So they're off having a party and we're not, you know, we're not doing that anymore. And so there's a huge change. But to to the outside world, the woman looks the same. Mm. She doesn't look like she's undergone some massive transition. We're not now, no, we're not now looking at her as, you know, in the same way that we look as a child that's gone from being a child to an adult, you know, so we, so she looks the same. She feels that she should be able to do the same things. She feels that she should be able to um, <clears throat> achieve as much as she always has, that her relationships shouldn't perhaps have changed when in actual fact there's now three in your marriage. That's fairly yes. solid. Yeah. yeah. Like it's huge. It's yeah. huge. The, the change is massive and, and often comes with emotional upheaval. And I think, I think what's the statistic? I, I often, um, I think it's one in five women or two in five women will experience postnatal depression and anxiety or perinatal depression and anxiety um, when they have their baby. And I think that is, I think it's, you know, I think, yes, that's probably the women that report feeling that way, Mm. but I reckon it'd be totally flipped on its head. I think three or four out of five women will say that there has been a period of two weeks where they feel like they're not coping, Mm. where they're feeling extra teary, where they find themselves crying at the drop of a hat, where their life feels unmanageable and overwhelming I think if you ask nearly any woman they would say yeah there's been a moment I think the women that say no I loved every single bit it's the best thing it's what I've been put on this planet to do they're the rare ones Mm. so what do you do for those women or what what would you say to the women who are feeling like it's too overwhelming or they're not coping well firstly um and often it's confronting for women, but I often ask them when they say to me, I'm not coping, I will then ask them as a health professional, do they have feelings of self-harm? Do they feel safe? You know, so go to the 
go to the worst end first to make mm. sure that they're actually feeling safe because it's not uncommon for women to feel suicidal. It's not normal, but it's not uncommon. And mm. so I have those hard conversations. And I think some women are taken aback when I go there. Mm. Um, I remember one woman saying, wow, that's that's a lot. I feel so so I was just saying, you know, so some women feel um, confronted by being asked if they have, have feelings of self-harm um, and then also sometimes comforted in knowing that they aren't those women. Um, but it is, it is, there are conversations that we need to have as health professionals to make sure that women have the services available to them to feel safe. Um, mm. And if they don't, then there are lines of um, referral and ways we can help manage that um, and put things in place. But if women are just generally feeling like they're not nailing it and that um, they should be doing a better job and that they should be enjoying it um, but don't necessarily have the signs and symptoms of perinatal anxiety and depression, the vast majority of what I do is reassurance that this is normal. It's normal to feel really tired when you're not getting a full night's sleep. Mm. It's normal to feel uncomfortable in your genes when you've just given birth to a baby. It's normal to feel disconnected from your friends when they're at a nightclub and you're sitting up with a cup of tea trying to feed a baby in the middle of the night. Mm. And I think it's also really normal to feel alone because you suddenly do have three in a marriage and your relationship and dynamic with your husband or your partner is very, very different. How do you navigate those conversations with new mothers? What do you say about the change in, 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 the, in the home? Yes, often, often it's acknowledging that it is real. Mm. Often people say, and acknowledging that most people feel that way because I think we do feel quite alone. Um, and then talking about ways to maintain connection. Like I'll often, I'll often say to people, just, just make a time every day and just hug each other just once and make sure it lasts for seven seconds. Give it a good one. Even if you really don't like him and you think you'd like to not feed him dinner that night or... <laughs> Just, just one, just one really good big hug because there are times when you just think, oh, that's right, you know, I really didn't like you today, but I actually do still love you. Thank you yeah. for walking back in the door because I've been that fun to live with. Yeah, as um, long as he and knows and... it's not going any further. As long as he yeah. knows that it's just a <laughs> yes. hug, mate. Yes, <laughs> yes, that is it. You've been touched out. No more. <laughs> no more today. Um, and I think, yeah, I think just uh, and and then trying. I'll often I'll often say to people try and turn the telly off while you have dinner, just really simple things, but just try just try and do some of those really simple things to maintain a connection. And, and I often say to them, you know, marriage is not, it's not a Disney film. This is the greatest challenge you'll ever come across. Um, and if you, if you can just put some steps in place that are actually practical and conscious, just because you've had to think to do it and make yourself do it doesn't mean that it's not... Um, with love and kindness and mm. it doesn't it doesn't mean that just because it didn't you know feel like the best thing to do right now doesn't mean it's not just as important and doesn't mean that it's not laying the foundation of a good relationship going forward so some of those some of those things can make a life really really different and I like I often I'll say to dads at the end of the console you've got my number now feel free to call me and and that they can call and I remember one dad calling me he's like oh my wife she's just I just can't I don't know what to do I can't get in right I'm in so much trouble um, you know, I think she's got, I think she's got postnatal depression. I said, okay, I'll call. And so I rang straight back and I said, tell me what's happening. What are you feeling? What's the conversation? And he told me, and I said, oh mate, 
when was the last time you did a load of washing and load of the dishwasher? He's like, oh, I've got a lot on. I was like, yeah, so does she. Here we go. This is what you're going to do in the next hour yeah. to help. And then he sent back, he's like, wow, that's winning. Like, I'm just so much happier. I'm like, I know, mate, it's time to lift your game. Like, yeah. actually lift it. And he said, I don't know how to turn the dishwasher, the washing machine on. I said, no worries. Just go and stand in front of it and I'll tell you what to do. And he said, do you know what washing machine we have? And I said, no, mate, they're all the same. Actually all the same. Just stand in front of it. I'll tell you what to find and what to push. And I'm like, is it going? He's like, yeah. I was like, good, right. Call me if you need me again. Don't speak to your wife about this. This is not the problem today. <laughs> because how do things you know, how, what are you seeing on farms with new mums and the farms are busy? I mean, they're not making the time or they're not putting their foot down necessarily or they're, they're not the priority because things still need to be sown or planted or harvested or, it, you know, sheep still need their wool taken off even though a new human has come into the world. How do you, what do you say to that and how, how do you balance those conversations? It's a really tricky one because growing up I understand that nothing stops for shearing or harvest or sowing or mm. um, and often I'll say to women this isn't necessarily your husband's role right now. I understand that you'd like him to stop that but if you did then there'd be repercussions for the whole season or for the whole you know I get it I understand it and that's where I often encourage women to really acknowledge who their village are and so I always say in a village you need you need a partner if you're lucky enough to have one, um, someone that you can call all day and all night. You need a friend that's lighthearted that you can call that really you don't discuss your problems with, but you can just have a chat and shoot the breeze, but is kind of off topic. Maybe that's the friend that's in London that lives their best life that you can just have a little bit yeah. of escapism with, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps a neighbour that you can actually call in a crisis, whether it's your mother-in-law or, or whoever. And then the friend that you can ring and say, I actually hate my husband right now. I don't know whether I want to let him back in the house. You know that <laughs> you need that friend. And 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 sometimes I've I've sat with women and we've talked about it and, I, and they say, I, I don't have someone in that role. And I'll say to them, well, I'm happy to be that person. You can actually just call me. It'll take two minutes. We'll have a conversation and then I can help you find some professional help. I'm not a psychologist, but if you need me to help just get through that moment, I'm happy to be that person. But um, often, often it's just really tough to try and have women feel empowered enough to value themselves enough to say you know what this is we're going to spend the money here and get some help in if I can't if one of my family or friends aren't going to meet this um, need right now I'm going to I'm going to use the resources that I have available to me and I'm going to value myself enough to do so without feeling like a failure mm, yeah. whether that is paying for a day's childcare or um, paying a cleaner like sometimes just paying a cleaner can and can relieve you of some of that stress so that you can get on with what you need to do or get a lactation consultant whatever whatever it is I think um, valuing ourselves enough is probably the greatest challenge mm. I, it's really interesting isn't it just being seen and heard can be enough to validate the feelings that we are feeling and I know it comes as a, a bit of a double-edged sword or it's it's kind of two-pronged because on one hand you feel guilty for feeling shitty because you know that it's so difficult for some women to um, start their families or you know that your position you're very blessed to have this healthy gorgeous child or just a baby in the house so you feel guilty for not enjoying it and soaking up and it being hashtag blessed every minute of the day and and yet you just and you know other people have it way worse but also it's all relative isn't it and it's um, your feelings are still valid no matter the situation. Yes, 
Yes, indeed. And and I think um, <clears throat> we would be superheroes if we could roll through it without feeling some of those feelings. I, I've never been more tired in my life than when I had babies, little babies. And, and we all know um, that tiredness is it's used in like torture right like they keep people awake to get the truth out of them any wonder is it any wonder after you've had a baby you realize just why that's an effective use of that <laughs> making stop getting truth out of people yes <laughs> absolutely it is torture yeah. oh my god it is torture so how far do you travel as a lactation consultant where do you go i travel as far as people want me to um really mostly in central west new south wales i've had a few girls contact me from sydney and i've just put them in touch with other people who do a great job in sydney whom i know because it's going to be more sustainable for them especially if they need to see them a couple of times um probably the furthest zoom i've ever done is texas in 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 america a friend of mine had a friend who was over there who had a sister who they're like i don't know what to do and they said oh, i know a great girl in australia but you know, I don't know who to do in America. I said, I could probably find one with a quick Google, you know, that and they said, no, just talk to us. So I spoke to her. That was really fun. And it was a simple solution and she found some more help close by. But um, I do, I'll travel as far as my wheels carry me, basically. There's no limit to how far I will go. The only limit really is funding. It costs money, obviously, to get me there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about um, the time that you, you sourced a plane to get to a lady <laughs> in fun. need. <laughs> that was fun so there was a mum that was a fair way from me probably about 600 k's from me who was pretty desperate she had a little tiny baby who just wouldn't settle anywhere else except in her arms and I just thought this poor girl just needs someone at her dining table to just have a cup of tea and really have a look we'd done a few zoom consults um and we just couldn't solve the problem over the phone um or over the internet and I just said I just would really like to have a look at you and the baby and see what we can do and so with some discussion, there was a fair bit going on on the farm for her, so they couldn't get to me. Um, and and so I said, look, if I could get a plane, would you, you know, would you be happy with that if I can get to you? So so one thing led to another, and I put a call out on Instagram for a unicorn tagging every billionaire that I knew that owned a plane, Qantas, Dick Smith, everybody. <laughs> None of that came through. Um, and then I walked into the exchange in Dubbo and saw Gillian Kilby, and in true Gillian style, within about five minutes, she's like, right, well, we just need to get a plane. This is... This is how we do it. And so she'd managed to get um, some amazing people on board to help me um, fund the fuel for the plane. And, and one of our local um, pilots, he's a flying instructor here in Narromine. He's also one of the local coppers. He's a legend. He said, I can, I can probably fly you there. I'll fly, but I need a plane and probably going to cost a bit of money. So you need some money. And so M Burton from Peggy and Twig sent me, I didn't even know you could do um, Instagram phone calls. Did you know you could do that? Anyway, um, she called me and said, here, I'll pay for some of the flights. So she put the bill for most of the fuel. And then one of the local grandpas in Dubbo, who's also a very clever businessman, Bob Berry, walked into the exchange and Gillian bailed him up and got his wallet out and he paid for the other bit. And then um, Drew McCallum from Inland Petroleum had a plane and he flew with Drew Pierce from Inland Aviation and we were there. We flew. I couldn't believe it. What an amazing day. I thought this is incredible. Had I thought 10 or 15 years ago when I started to become a midwife that I'd be flying in a plane to go and help a woman at a dining table and um, I would never have never have imagined that in my wildest dreams as a fledgling midwife in North Sydney. Never. Yeah, yeah. Never. yeah. That remote and and you know, landing on an, a dirt airstrip on a remote station and, and helping someone in desperate need. I mean, that's just incredible. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal, yeah, phenomenal.
what have some of these stories been? Because, you know, you've been bashing around the bush for a while. Um, getting to women, I guess, is a big thing through dodgy roads and floodwaters and all sorts of things. What are some of your stories? Um, there's been a few flat tyres, quite a few, <laughs> quite a few flat tyres. There's been some moments where I've thought to myself, oh, man, am I actually going to remember how to get out of here <laughs> with no phone coverage? You know, it's okay on the way in. I remember one, I was going there. It was the only time I could get there. This poor mum was really quite desperate. She rang and it was her third baby and she said, I just I just need you to come. You know, it's my third baby, but I just, you know, I've, I've had real trouble feeding the first two. Um, I, I just, I really want to get this right. I'm having real trouble with this last one. I just, I've tried everything every time and I don't know what's wrong. Why am I failing so much? And, and I just thought, this poor mum, like it's her third baby. It must be drastic. Usually by the time you've got your third, you've, found your stride and can and problem solve most things and so I said look I, I can get there but it's going to be late so I got there at like well, I don't know I think it was about six o'clock at night and on the way in the sun was dipping and I was going through all these different these um swollen causeways to get there and I thought all right well lucky I'm in a full drive lucky I've got yeah and my husband knows where I'm going because he's been on this road a few times so he knows where I'm at if, if I don't get home he'll come and find me um and that'll be fine. Like, so I just thought I'll send him a text from their Wi-Fi to tell him I'm leaving and if I get bogged, at least he'll come and find me, but I'll, it'll be right. Um, anyway, so I I remember actually getting out. It was probably one of the more profound visits I've done. And I, I got out there to this mum after driving for a bit over an hour and, um, and I got there and she told me the story of her first two babies and then again, this baby and and I just thought this this is this isn't adding up and so I said look I'm gonna I'm gonna need to do a breast examination and she said yeah that's fine you know that's all part of being a lactation consultant is that you see people's boobs and I said I think I'd like you to take your shirt right off so I can have a really good look at your chest and when she did it was really obvious like really obvious that she um, had a condition called um, hypoplastic breast development so which basically means that your boobs don't really develop in puberty and so so she had flogged herself for three babies to breastfeed when in actual fact she had very, very, very little breast tissue. So wow. actually wouldn't have been able to. And so like the, the percentage of women who actually can't breastfeed is about one to two percent. The amount that actually physically can't is very small. And so this poor girl had turned herself inside out and back to front for three babies to breastfeed. When And I just remember standing there in front of her and thinking, oh, my God, I've got to tell her that this is she's flogging a dead horse this isn't going to happen for her and when I told her I remember her just being really still and she just said I'm so glad you've told me because I, I now know it's not me I, I know that yeah. I couldn't have done any better and I said no you've done everything you could have I'm amazed that you've lasted this long and she just yeah she it was a really moving moment but I remember thinking well, I don't want to be the one to tell her this but I'm going to have to because that's what I'm here for and you know how, and, how and it was, no one I felt really privileged yeah. No one had noticed. No one had actually. She said it, I was the first person to actually look at her whole, at her whole chest, at her breasts. I was the first person to actually look at the, her anatomy properly. Um, yeah, the whole. Picture. So I felt really sorry for her. I felt like, and so over three babies, you know, imagine mm -hmm. that stress that she's placed upon herself, and the amount of drugs she's put into her body to try and get the milk to come, and the amount of time mm -hmm. she's spent on the pump and mm -hmm. with nipple shields and you name mm -hmm. it to try and make it work, and and she just she couldn't. Mm, that mm. is incredible and it, it like you say it is a privilege to be almost um walking alongside these mothers as they go through matrescence which is such a beautiful word and I think sums up this transition so gorgeously 
um, for you, like what are some of the, the, the most common issues that you see that could be perhaps rectified with a bit of knowledge or awareness? Yeah, I think the most common, the most common um, concern I have in, that, I, that I, or that I deal with is um, confidence. I think it's fascinating to me now, the more I reflect on it, um, that we can grow a whole baby from scratch in our body and then some of us are lucky enough to be able to push them out. Um, and often we won't doubt, you know, once we're pregnant, we, we don't doubt the ability to grow that baby. You know, the baby's born and we're like, yeah, of course, it was big and healthy and delicious. And then, and then so many women doubt their ability to breastfeed their baby when their, whole, their body was able to make it, like grow a whole baby in, inside them from two cells. Mm. but then they doubt their ability to actually care for the baby and it's fascinating to me that um, society has gotten us to that point that, mm. that we now think that breastfeeding is rare when in actual fact it's normal you know I don't I don't prescribe to the breast is best stuff I'm not a breastfeeding Nazi I'm, life is too short to be telling people how they should be doing things I really I really feel like it's my role to support women to to parent and and to care for their babies how they see fit mm. and how they feel most comfortable so that they can enjoy it as much as possible because if mum's happy the baby will definitely be happy but if mum's not it's really hard for the baby to be okay totally fed is best yeah and I think and I think um along that line um understanding that that breastfeeding actually is normal mm. um and most people can do it most people can do it just with support I think the statistics are about 95 percent of people want to breastfeed at birth but 39% people, 39% are actually breastfeeding at 16 weeks. Oh, sorry, you just broke up. So there's a massive drop off. Sorry, I was just saying the um, the percentage of people that want to breastfeed at birth is 95%, but at 16 weeks, it's about 39% that are. And so in that, you know, there's a huge drop off of people who would like to have been able to breastfeed but haven't been able to do it for whatever reason. And I think, I genuinely think the most, um, the most effective way to increase that percentage is through support. Is through sport. Support. Oh, support. <laughs> yeah. How is Sorry. that? Netball? Yes, we should all play netball, <laughs> all of us. <laughs> no, I'm not very sporty. <laughs> Support, absolutely, 100%. And, you know, if it's not working, that's okay. And if it does work, it's okay. And how you it's okay is okay. And I think professional support, I think that the, the amount of women that I see who have seen tons of people through their door and, and it's still not going well, and then they get me and they're like, oh, wow, no one had shown me that. And you think, well, that's because it's not their jam. You know, it's not a paediatrician's jam to teach you how to breastfeed. Do you know what I mean? It's, that's, that's not, it's not their job. You know, they need to make sure the baby's healthy or, you know, and then seeing their GPs, I mean, GPs do an amazing job. And I actually think they're the most underrated of doctors. They have to be everything to everybody. But mm. like, there's not many GPs that are also lactation consultants. Um, I think, I think you're, you've hit a bonus if you find a GP that's a woman that's breastfed. That's often... You know, then, then they have some inside information. But um, I think finding professional support and finding, you know, when, you, when you're looking for somebody to help you with something in, in any health or in any profession, I think, I think look for some real qualifications. You know, I think look for some people who've got some, some real runs on the board to help you because so much stuff now, especially on Instagram, people can have the most amazing looking graphics and, 
and look like they know what they're talking about, but like they've got their qualification out of a wheat bix packet and, and women are falling down a rabbit hole of, oh my gosh, I need to have this life. I should have my baby in this routine where they're behaving like a robot that will make me happy, you know, and, and that will be worthy and then I'll be a good mom. And then, you know, and so they fall down this rabbit hole of shoulds when, when actually there's no science behind it. There's no evidence-based practice. There's no, you know, is it really kind to the baby to be doing it that way? Not so sure. Is that going to be the best way to maintain your milk supply? No, probably not. You know, like let's find some good, good qualifications behind the, the resources that you're using. It's probably mm. one of my best pieces of advice. Mm. And also um, not always uh, grandma and mum don't always know best. I mean, <laughs> my, my grandma was telling me how she, you know, you, you didn't feed your baby in the hospital. You didn't see the baby till you left hospital. And by that time, you had no milk. And so she bottle fed because the milk didn't come through because she didn't latch at all in, in the hospitals. So I yeah. think it's sometimes you just got to go with the modern science and, and <laughs> with the professionals and the specialists and, um, and, and go with that rather than the good old wives' tales the old survivor bias you know so often I hear yeah. and often I'll be doing a home visit and there'll be grandma or mum you know they're visiting and say oh well, you know what we slept all our babies on the front and they're all right you think yeah yeah, yeah it's lucky yeah. Like, that's all that is that's just lucky you know like let's not talk about that being a good idea that's just luck okay that's the good old survivor bias let's just move on from this is why we don't do that now and they're like yeah but and I'm like no no no, no yeah. still unsafe yeah, yeah. <laughs> no but yeah. still and occasionally okay occasionally I'll get you know like I'll, I'll be doing a home visit and a, and a woman will contact me and I'll say look I've got my mum here she's really doing my head in with this this and this piece of advice could you just do me a favour and bring those up gently in conversation as to why we don't give babies bottles of water when they're newborns and, and why we don't put them on their front. They'll give me a list of things that I have to cover in that in the consultation with mum in earshot so she can have the argument with me. <laughs> I'll happily do that every time. I love it. I actually I quietly love it. <laughs> How good is that? You're just everyone's best friend. You're like the just the perfect <laughs> pocket rocket. <laughs> Not always. I'm sure there's plenty that see me and think, oh, thank God she's gone. I'll never see her again. But, you know, that's life. You can't please everybody, can you? And so what are some of your main pieces of advice that you like to, um, to give to mamas? Okay. So firstly, like I said, I'd try and simplify things as much as possible. Um, so remove as much of the noise, whether that's, you know, if social media is causing you anxiety, turn it off. Like actually the world won't stop spinning if you turn it off. Um, remove as many gadgets as you can um, just simplify things as much as you can to start with if your baby's crying skin to skin contact will fix most things just take your shirt off or unbutton your shirt take the baby's shirt off place them on your skin put a blanket over the two of you and cuddle mm -hmm. if you can um, if that doesn't work to calm your baby warm water often does and so I usually liken it to us, you know, if you come in from a bad day at work or whatever and you're just in a half and your life's not great if you just go and have a shower when you get out of the shower, you feel like you can cope better. And so often I'll say to women, yourself, if you're losing it and you feel like you can't be with your baby anymore and you're the only option, place your baby in their cot in a safe space, go for a walk outside and take 10 deep breaths. If that's not enough, have a shower, have a quick shower, regroup and come back. If they're still crying, they're still breathing, just try and calm yourself down and then work on the baby. It's not going to happen when you're already worked up try and try and calm down as much as you can if you can do it with your baby in your arms great but if you can't place them somewhere safe walk away and come back and try again mm -hmm. um and 
the warm water helps definitely if you you know if you're feeling calm and your baby's still losing it you've tried a breastfeed you've tried skin to skin pop them in a nice warm bath with a nice um face wash or a hand towel over them over their belly so that they feel safe and just try and you know put them in water put a fresh nappy on when you get out and then try and breastfeed again often that's enough to calm them down and that will go on oh gosh my biggest boy's 11 and a half now even if he's in a bit of a strop i'll say go and have a shower mate just Go and, go and have a shower, calm down, come back when you feel ready. And even, you know, when they're 18 months old and they're losing it because they won't eat their dinner, who says you can't feed your baby a chop in the bath? Yeah. There's no there's no rules. No rules. <laughs> None. Just let them have the chop in the bath. It works. It works. The same with the pale pops. If you want to give your baby a nice block after dinner, in the bath. Give it to them in the bath. It will just wash down the drain and you feel better. Everybody's better. Oh. That's brilliant. I'm definitely going to do the chop in the bath. I had never thought of that. <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's wet, not your chop. You don't need to worry about it. <laughs> um, the other thing, the other analogy I really like to use with anything to do with babies and breastfeeding in particular, um, when you do a big grocery shop and you come home and you carry all of the bags, you know, you think you're going to be really effective and carry all of the bags of groceries in and your hand, the blood supply is cutting off to your fingers and, and you blame the two litres of milk. Like you actually blame the milk. You're like, oh, that milk's so heavy. But if you just carry the milk in, you don't even complain about it, right? You just carry the milk in and place it in the fridge. It's not, it's not heavy anymore, right? Because you're just managing one little bit at a time. And so I'll often say to women, they, you know, they want to shoot the hostage. They want, it's the breastfeeding that's causing all of their problems. And I often say to them, are you just trying to carry all of the groceries or are you just trying to carry the milk? And so trying to work out, are you actually just trying to do too much in your day? Are you trying to keep a clean house? Are you trying to entertain guests that are calling in to see your baby, especially now post COVID and during COVID stuff, people haven't been able to have visitors in the hospital. And so they will, um, and so now they're having like floods of visitors through their house because they weren't able to have visitors during COVID and they think they've got to have the slice on the table, they've got to have the house clean, they've got to have the baby ready to present to their guests. And so, mm. and then the breastfeeding is really challenging. But in actual fact, if you turn down some of that other noise and just just carry the milk, carry the heavy stuff one thing at a time and allow other people to carry the rest of the groceries, mm. often it's easier rather than thinking you have to do all of it and it will be easy. Mm. Brilliant. I love that. Love that so much. Oh, Caroline, it's just been such a, a treat to chat and you've had so many pearls of wisdom. So thank you so much for, for chatting to us on Life on the Land. Thank you so much for having me. One last little thing I would say to help all of the rural mums out there is tell the girls having babies that you asked for help yourself. And if you didn't, tell them that you wish you did because so I think a lot of it is just having permission to fail because, well, we know they're not failing. Having permission to do so is part of the battle one, I think, and, and being, it being okay not to nail it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I reckon this is a really helpful chat to send to the friends, families and partners of someone with a new bub or a mum who needs to know they're doing a fantastic job and they're not alone. Kaz is such a warm, vivacious powerhouse, full of knowledge. It was a real delight to speak with her. I hope you felt seen and heard in this interview. 
As always, one of the best ways you can support us to continue to make this content for you free of charge is to rate and review on whatever platform you're listening to. This helps others find us. While you're there, hit share and send one of our conversations to someone you think might like it. Every share helps. Until next time, keep well. This is a Grazy Her podcast produced by Manson and Company. Mm-hmm.